0: Chapter 34, June 1997, age 42. Robert never received a visit from his lawyer while at Rikers Island, and he never heard from any of his mob associates again. Several times he was taken from Rikers Island and brought to the courthouse, where he sat in the bullpen for hours, waiting for a lawyer who never arrived. This caused Robert's anxiety to mount knowing that the time he was spending incarcerated would not be counted towards the federal case pending in Florida. In essence, the longer he went without a lawyer, the more time he would spend in prison. His frustration increased when Robert talked with attorney Joseph Carrazo, Nicky's nephew. Of all things, he advised him to get legal aid. Knowing the men Joseph represented had millions of dollars at their disposal to spend on their legal cases, and his lawyer only wanted $3,000, Robert felt betrayed. To add insult to injury, he read in the newspaper that additional charges were brought against Nicky and Lenny for bribing a guard into bringing outside food into the prison for them. Robert understood that he was no longer in good standing with them because of his drug use, and he knew they weren't supposed to be affiliated with him. But they were co-defendants in a federal case, and had reasoned out that he should be taken care of just like they were. So the idea of wanting extra food in prison so badly that they would bribe a prison guard to get it struck Robert the wrong way, especially since they weren't willing to provide him with a few dollars to be used at the commissary. In the early summer, Robert was transferred from Rikers Island to Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. It was there he was placed on the same floor as Lenny. He was sitting on his bed in the dorm-style room playing cards with another inmate. Robert, what a surprise, he said as Robert was escorted to a neatly made vacant bed. After Robert set his clothes down, he went over to where Lenny was and hugged him while Lenny introduced him to his card partner. You were at Rikers, right? Yeah, Rikers, Robert said, a little miffed that Lenny wasn't sure where he was. They treat you well at Rikers? You could say that. I just kept my head down and my mouth shut. <laughs> that must have been difficult for you, right? Have a seat. Robert sat next to him. So why they send you here? Robert shrugged, trying to keep his nervousness from showing. You know those corrections people, always playing a shell game with us prisoners. You ever see Nicky? Yeah, I see him all the time. How's he holding up? Lenny huffed. It takes more than MDC to shake him up. So what can I do you for? You got cigarettes? You need commissary? I can set you up for whatever you need. If only you'd been so generous sooner, Robert thought. Six weeks earlier, the thought of missing out on making memories with Brianna became too much to bear. After receiving no help, he called his mother and asked for the name and number of the federal agent who left his business card with her. The phone call to the agent started the ball rolling towards an agreement to cooperate with the federal government for a reduced sentence. Not long afterwards, he was in the custody of the U.S. Marshal and on his way to Florida but for whatever reason he had to make a layover at mdc as he sat next to lenny a person he just might have to testify against he wondered if the correctional department had just made a big mistake robert did his best to play it cool he took a cigarette lenny offered but didn't light it look lenny i don't need any commissary he said tinged by a small amount of guilt but what i do need is a lawyer I thought you would have had one by now, Lenny said as he laid down the King of Hearts. I sent word that my lawyer needed three grand. He never got it, and I never heard from him. I've been in and out of the bullpen four or five times already without an attorney. Oh, well, I'll see if I can do something about that tomorrow. I'll be shipping out tomorrow. It'll be too late. Lenny stared at him. What? Nobody leaves out of here the next day. He turned back to his cards and considered playing the Ace of Spades. I'm telling you, I'm due out tomorrow, so if you can do something for me, that'd be great. That night, Robert had a hard time falling asleep, wondering if Lenny had caught on to what was happening. In that particular setting, where there were no individual cells, it would be easy for him to have someone take Robert out in his sleep, eliminating a potential barricade to his own freedom. Five in the morning came and Robert was awakened. The corrections officer led him to the showers where he got cleaned up. Afterwards, he was put on a bus and driven to an airport somewhere upstate. From there, he was flown to a detention facility in Oklahoma City, a hub for federal prisoners. He spent two weeks there with no commissary money and not a single conversation with Lauren, who had stopped answering his calls. After two more flights, he landed in Miami, where he was bused to the Miami-Dade County Jail. The next day, two FBI agents signed Robert out, handcuffed him, and drove him in a white, unmarked van to the federal building in downtown Miami. Concealed by the cover of an underground parking garage, the marshals took Robert in a private elevator to the assistant U.S. attorney's office several stories up. One of the agents informed the receptionist who Robert was. She immediately got up and escorted them to an empty conference room, where Robert took a seat at one end of a long wooden table. The agents flanked his side. Within a few minutes, two men dressed in suits and ties walked through the door, both carrying accordion files. You can leave, the blonde-headed one sporting a red tie said to the agents. He looked at Robert. Oh, take those off first, he said, referring to the handcuffs. After the agents left the room, the other man closed the door. The blonde extended his hand to Robert. I'm Brian McCormick, assistant U.S. attorney, he said as he and Robert shook hands. This is Assistant U.S. Attorney Kevin March. Robert shook his hand as well. McCormick sat in the chair to Robert's right and March sat next to him on the same side. For the next few minutes, they talked about everything but the case. Sports, family, weather, Robert's experience in the penal system. As usual with people who met Robert, they laughed at a couple of his jokes. McCormick went silent as he opened the accordion file and removed one of the folders. After flipping through a few of the pages, he asked Robert, So, from what I understand, you're willing to help us out, is that right? Robert shrugged. Yeah, that's why I'm here, right? You want me to testify? Of course. McCormick shut the folder. So what's in it for you? What do you expect in return for your testimony? I don't want to do any time. You'll have to do some time, McCormick said as he tapped the folder with his pen. There are federal guidelines we have to go by but if your information helps us put these guys away, I could accept a plea for the minimum sentence. We'll get to that later. First, I need to know what you know. McCormick and March grilled Robert for the next couple of hours, asking him questions about Nikki and Lenny and the other co-defendants on the case. He also asked about Robert's involvement in crimes he had committed while working for nikki a purging of past sins from Robert's life. It was strange for Robert to confess his crimes to the prosecutors. For as long as he could remember, they had been the enemy, the ones who barricaded the road that he thought would lead to his happiness. How was he to trust them? As far as he knew, they could take his information and then slap him with a hefty sentence. Or worse, they could put him back into the general population, assuring that his life would soon be over. Still, he had nowhere else to turn. And with a different type of spirit guiding him now, the spirit of truth. He was determined to trust the prompting in his heart to do the right thing. When he had finished, McCormick jotted a few notes on a legal pad he'd produced from the accordion file. Laying his pen on the pad, he said, all right, I'm going to shoot straight with you. Up to this point, our case hasn't been that strong. In fact, we've gotten some bad publicity that isn't helping one bit. One of the federal agents handling the case was caught stealing some of the money confiscated from your boss's operation. Right now, it's a big mess. With that said, it appears you might have some vital information we could possibly use. He put the pad and pen back in the accordion file and stood. The FBI takes over from here. They'll be visiting you at Miami-Dade to get more details as needed. But let me warn you now, McCormick leaned toward Robert. After we compile all the info... We'll administer a polygraph to make sure all you've told us is the truth. If I find even one bit of information is a lie, all bets are off, and I'll see to it you serve the maximum penalty for your crimes. Am I clear? Robert nodded. Yeah, loud and clear. No lies. After the meeting with McCormick and March concluded, the agents handcuffed Robert again and loaded him into the van. Instead of taking him back to Miami-Dade County Jail, he was transported to Metro West Detention Center, a small correctional facility operated by the Miami-Dade County Corrections and Rehabilitation Department on the west side of Miami. There he was placed in one of four cells solely dedicated for solitary confinement, where he stayed all day except for one hour out in the yard. He met daily with federal agents who went over his testimony, sifting through the details, making sure it was all accurate and truthful. As he went through the transformation of convicted criminal to government witness, he was also going through another more significant and meaningful spiritual transformation. His desire to learn more about the One who was responsible for his change grew. He was already reading the Bible exclusively and praying more prayers delivered from his heart consistent with the one he prayed for the first time at Rikers Island. That not being enough, he absorbed the teachings of TV ministers who taught about the importance of a life that imitated that of Jesus Christ. For about three weeks, Robert kept the same routine, meeting with the agents, going over his testimony with a fine-toothed comb, spending hours reading the Bible and watching Christian programs, and breathing in the one hour worth of fresh South Florida air during his time in the yard. It was during his walk from lockup to the yard that he heard his name called. The trip to the yard led him by the cells of other inmates, and one of them had a message for Robert. I spoke with your buddy Anthony, the inmate said. Robert knew he was referring to Anthony Ruggiano, who was also incarcerated in Miami. He said, don't do what you're about to do. Robert had heard similar words from his nephew. While visiting Robert a week ago, he tried to convince him to recant his testimony, but Robert explained that he had already passed the point of no return. He knew that just the thought of testifying against the mob was enough for a death warrant to be issued. Robert was angry at whoever convinced his nephew to talk him out of testifying. If something happened to Robert, his nephew could bear the guilt of his death for the rest of his life. Now this. Shaken by his whereabouts being discovered, he told the federal agents with whom he was working about the incident. Within a couple of days, Robert was transferred to a detention facility in Indian River. During his previous incarcerations, Robert would never let his mother visit him while in jail or prison. Now he was back in Florida with a different perspective and anxious to see her. Unlike Rikers Island, there was no open visitation with the prisoners. Instead, prisoner and visitor alike used phone handsets to talk to each other while sitting in a booth divided by a piece of glass three-quarters of an inch thick. As Robert entered his side of the booth, he sat down across from his mother, who was already cradling the handset between her head and shoulder. She was wearing a blue dress, probably something she'd worn since the 70s. Even though it had been only two years since he'd last seen her, she looked as if she'd aged a decade. She put her hand up to the glass, and Robert did likewise while picking up his handset. Hello, Robert, she said, a compassionate smile on her face. You look so good. I feel great, better than I can ever remember. I'm so glad, she said, with a hint of skepticism in her tone, the result of seeing her son modulate back and forth from sobriety to strung out so many times. Robert noticed and accepted it. Did you have any problem getting in? Not really. I showed my ID. They said I was on the list, and so... She smiled again as she studied his face. What is it? she asked. What's what? Her brow furrowed. You just look... different. Robert chuckled. I'm changed, Ma. Changed? Yeah, but this time I can feel it inside me, inside my heart, he said, lightly pounding his chest with his fist. He went on to tell her what happened at Rikers Island and how since then he'd had a whole new perspective on life. As he told his story, he could see the tears gathering in his mother's eyes and the tension in her face relax. Oh, Robert, thank God. I've been praying for you for so long. Out of nowhere, she produced a tissue to wipe her eyes and nose. As he looked into the face of the woman that had endured all the hardships he'd put her through, he couldn't help but feel the load of guilt. Sitting across from him was the person who'd proven to be his best friend, albeit his mother. He'd taken advantage of her many times by taking her money, pawning her appliances, robbing her of emotional strength. The lines on her face and the weariness in her eyes were proof of that. Yes, it was true that at times she had enabled him to continue in a lifestyle that caused her the grief for that she would take partial blame. Robert was culpable for the rest. For decades he had been a grief to his mother as well as a subject of her most fervent prayers. He thought about the many times she probably worried whether his latest binge would be his last or if the next time she saw him would be in the city morgue identifying his body. Sitting across from her in that visitor's booth helped him see the devastation his actions had on the one woman who never gave up on him. With that in mind, he joined her by shedding his own tears. Ma, I'm so sorry for everything. Robert, his mother, held up her hand. I forgave you the moment it happened. Now you need to do the same. Robert hesitated as he thought about what he needed to talk to his mother about. Ma, I've got to ask you something. If it's about pawning the microwave, no, it's nothing like that. I just... What is it, Robert? You need money for commissary? Robert shook his head. I still think I need a lawyer. She nodded, okay. Nikki and Lenny wouldn't help me out. Robert, what are you trying to tell me? He took a deep breath, knowing his mother's stand on loyalty. My lawyer needs $3,000. I thought the government was going to work out a deal with you. While in Oklahoma, Robert had already told his family about his decision to work with the government. Everyone was upset with him. Most wouldn't talk with him anymore. His mother was among those who disagreed with his decision. She couldn't understand how Robert could turn against Nikki after all he had done for him. Of course, she was never aware of the specifics regarding what type of work Robert did for Nikki. And even though she knew Nicky was a mobster, in her eyes, he was the lesser of two evils when compared to drugs. When Robert was with Nicky, he was cleaned up, working and had money. But unlike the others, his mother refused to cut the lines of communication with him. He was her son, and there was nothing neither he nor anyone else could do to change that. I'm a little afraid that I'm going to get railroaded, he answered, biting his nail. Robert, stop that she said, swatting at him on the other side of the glass. Robert sheepishly pulled his finger away from his mouth. Now tell me what you mean. I've been giving these guys all this information without any kind of signed papers or nothing, and I don't know. You don't know what? If I can trust them. His mother leaned forward. Son, listen to me. Don't worry about it. It will all work out. Reluctantly, Robert nodded as she sighed. Let's just see what happens.